The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change and shift your business paradigm. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn for insights on emerging trends that could impact the future of your business. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the innovative business leaders of today. Now, here's your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello, this is Nancy Lynn at the Business Reinvention Show, where we share thought-provoking ideas from different industries to help you connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, thanks for tuning in today. Um, summer is almost here. Um, I thought it's a great time to look at the oil industry, which usually sees a spike in price during summer. Oil is important not only because so many of us use it to power our cars, but we also use petroleum and its byproducts to make a wide varieties of things, such as plastics, polyesters, nylons, adhesives, and even things like shampoo, um, vitamin capsules, uh, sunglasses, tire shoes, and so many other products. Over the last 12 months, price of crude oil has fallen from over $100 to below $50 a barrel. And it wasn't until very recently that it climbed above the $50 mark again. But the falling factory output in China and the recession in Europe, they are going on and that together are really dragging down the demand for oil. Many worry that Saudi's deliberate increase in production is also designed to dampen the expansion of the U.S. oil industry, especially um, the fast-growing fracking activities here. And we are starting to see the impact of this strategy on the oil industry. Um, For example, a recent survey by Cohen Group shows that energy companies are looking to slash as much as $114 billion in spending this year. So that is concerning. Um, However, there are still more companies working in the U.S. than other um, any other country, I should say, to find um, and deliver oil and gas. Um, and this has encouraged innovation, resulting in increased speed and output in drilling over the last decade. And the current crisis could be another incentive for the U.S. oil industry to use new technology to boost its price competitiveness and profit margin. And joining me today to discuss the innovation in the oil industry are Robert Bryce and Jay Kipper. Robert is Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and the author of five books on energy and innovation. Jay is Program Director for Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas in Austin. He was the Vice President of Aspen Technology, where he also worked closely with refining and petrochemical industries. Robert and Jay, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, look forward to some good conversations. Thank you. Um, looks like we have a great panel today. Um, so, Robert, where do we get our oil from? I mean, how much of it is domestic and what other countries do we import oil from? 
Uh, well, now you put me on the on the spot right here on the at the beginning here, Nancy. Uh, we produce well. Let me see. I guess we're producing about nine million barrels a day now, or close to ten. We consume about eighteen or nineteen, so we're producing all roughly half of the crude oil uh, that we consume. Uh, what's notable and what really is reflective, I think, of the point of much much of your focus on business reinvention and and innovation is how. Over just the last six to seven years, the U.S. U.S. oil production has increased by about fifty percent, and it's uh, all because of this uh, surge in in using new technologies uh, and, and improved technologies that have been around for decades, including horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing. The combination of these two have have really made a, a, a sea change in America's energy fortunes, particularly when it comes to liquid fuels. Mm, yeah, um, but then there's also a report that indicates um, oil companies have decommissioned more than half of rigs from a year ago. Um, so w- what's the sentiment like right now in Texas, especially in the energy sector? Well, worried, I guess, would be the, <laughs> to put it in, in as brief a, a way as I can. Worried. Um, prices, uh, t- I don't know, I haven't checked the price of oil today. It's about $50 and something, but at this level, it's difficult for uh, uh, a lot of companies that are operating in Texas to make money. So right now, a lot of them are sweating. And as you pointed out, com- uh, companies in Texas, in Oklahoma, Louisiana, California, Chevron announced that they'll spend $35 billion in CapEx this year. That's down 13% from last year. Continental Resources in Oklahoma City cut their CapEx budget nearly in half to about $2.7 billion. So um, a lot of these companies are, are, are reducing spending, cutting uh, payroll, cutting employees, huge uh, reductions in force. And uh, they're they're hoping that uh, to see some price recovery soon. Mm. So even though they're laying off people and cutting down the number of weeks, um, um, but I mean. For example, when they decommission more than half the rigs, does that really translate to fifty percent reduction in oil production? I mean, I'm thinking with so much new technology helping them improve operational efficiency, um, maybe they're producing more from each week than before. That, that's that's the key point, and 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 I'm sure Jay can speak to this. But the productivity per rig has been is an, is now the focus. But I'll hand that off to Jay. I'm sure he can discuss how we've seen remarkable increases in output from individual rigs. Yeah, uh, we absolutely have. But when a when a rig when a rig shuts down, uh, you know the the production is going to start tailing off uh, very soon thereafter. So. You know, I just touching upon what Robert was saying about the the feeling in the industry. It's it's absolutely it's it's worry, it's caution. But everyone in the industry knows that this has been a very cyclic business over the years, and we've seen big drops in prices before. So, you know, I, I give a little bit of optimism here. The industry will survive, but right now, lots of jobs are being lost, and spirits are a little bit low. But I'm confident that price will eventually rebound. I can't tell you exactly when, and the industry will will recover. So, you know, with all of that sort of doom and gloom, I, I think there is a bright side bright side to the downturn. And it's and it's uh sure hard to associate a positive to someone who's just lost their job. But during downturns like downturns uh like this, new technology is developed so that you're able to better compete at these lower prices. We'll find new ways to access uh reservoirs in a cost effective way. 
And when the going gets tough, the, yeah, as the saying goes, the tough get going. And the oil industry is a group of tough, gritty, and very smart people. So, so innovation will prevail at the end of this. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've seen a, a cyclic uh, flow of prices in the past, and we've recovered. And I, I think we will again this year. Mm. And Robert, is that the same reason behind your optimism uh, when you talked about um, the fact that we might not have hit the peak of oil production in the U.S. yet? Well, uh, I think that why, I mean, we have seen numbers just in the last few days from OPEC, from, from the IEA in Paris, uh, exp- showing this uh, slowing growth in U.S. oil output. Now, to be clear, the production has continued to grow, but, but, the, the, but the pace of growth has slowed, and now we look like we could be hitting a plateau. But, re- but that is a direct result of all these rigs being idled um, and a lot of people losing their jobs. So now uh, what is going to be key, and, and, and Jay hit on this exactly right, which is that productivity is going to be the focus. It's going to be uh, uh, capital efficiency. It's going to be labor efficiency, rig efficiency. All of these things are in the forefront. But just to give you a few indicators, uh, if you look at the latest uh, or one of the recent drilling productivity reports from the, uh, from the EIA, which is part of the Department of Energy, between 2011 and 2015, oil uh, rig productivity for oil drilling improved by 152% in the Bakken in North Dakota, 184% in the Eagleford in South Texas, and 330% in the Niobrara Shale. So we're seeing these massive increases in the ability of individual driller co- drilling companies and the, co- and the service companies to exploit these rigs to their maximum efficiency, and, and they're going to continue to ring out efficiency that are going to, you know, I think are going to be the, the key for the industry in the downturn and, and as prices rise again. Yeah, so let's talk about the engines that have helped um, boost productivity. Um, so, Jay, in your view, what do you think is the single most important innovation that has helped improve operational efficiency or even bottom line for oil companies, say, in the last 10 years? Well, I think that uh, you and Robert have been talking about it. It's This is absolutely shale plays, the unconventional reservoirs within the U.S. and our ability to produce from them. Oil and natural gas is at, at an all-time historic high of our production levels, and this wouldn't have been possible without our ability uh, to produce from these new unconventional reservoirs, the Barnett, the Eagleford, the Bakken, the Marcellus that Robert has been mentioning. We're not energy independent yet, and we probably never will will be, but the unconventional plays have been a great thing for us, and they've done a lot to stimulate the economy in the U.S., uh, and, uh, you know, I would say that in itself is the biggest th- uh, innovation, is our ability to access these reservoirs that we've known about for years, but we've never had the technology to go in and recover the hydrocarbons from them. Well, if I, if I could build on a little bit on what Jay said, Nancy, I think there's no question that the shale has been the key. So what have been the technologies that have, have come out that have or rather been uh, refined and continually developed that have allowed companies in the United States to, to effectively and cost-effectively uh, tap shale reservoirs? Well, one of the keys has been the AC top drive rig. I write about this in my, in my latest book, Smaller, Faster, Lighter, Denser, Cheaper. Everybody has to – you don't have to read it. You just have to buy it. 
But but in the book, I talk about why the AC top drive rig is, is so important. It reduces the amount of time needed to drill an individual well. What, what Helmrich and Payne and other companies that are using these rigs have done is to add uh, 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 not artificial intelligence, but add computerized drilling to a process that had been done by uh, by by hand. A manual drilling uh, was was the way the rig operated now for decades. Now we have what is effectively the automation the uh, the uh, the, autom- uh, the automation rather of the the drilling process itself. So you add in better drill bits, you add in more powerful pumps, you add in uh, uh, 3D seismic technology, micro seismic technology. There are a myriad of ingredients that have have uh, been in uh, that have been invented. The different things that have been perfected or and improved that are allowing us to prove to to produce all this oil and gas from shale. Wonderful. And, and, and I think that really. That really builds on what we've been talking about is technology. This business, the oil and gas industry, is really technology-driven. Robert mentioned his book, The Smaller, Faster, Lighter, Denser, Cheaper, and it's really how innovation keeps proving the, uh, those, those naysayers you know, that we're at the end of uh, all of our oil. We, we keep proving them wrong because technology keeps unlocking new reserves. So, you know, I, I tell a funny story about if people were asking how much oil and gas was left in the 60s, people would say, ah, about 50 years left. In the 70s, the same questions asked and the same answer, about 50 years. And it goes all the way up to today. You know, you say, how much more time do we have for oil and gas? Uh, 50 or 60 years. And the reason that you'll continue to have this resource is because technology keeps innovating and it keeps allowing us to access more and more of, of, of this valuable resource. That's incredible. Um, well, we have so much to talk about. Um, let's take a break first. Um, you're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. You could also download our podcast from Voice America, iTunes, or Stitcher. Please stay tuned and we'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Robert, we are also seeing more and more deep-sea oil drilling. Um, what technology has enabled the oil companies to do so? Uh, well, again, Nancy, I, I can't point to a single thing that uh, that would be the the defining defining technology that's allowed the exploitation of offshore in the offshore. It's a myriad of different things. Um, remember, let's put this into context. So, <clears throat> one of the big challenges today in the offshore sector is that oil prices are low. They, you know, to drill offshore is expensive. Well, that's fairly obvious. But if you look back, just in the in the post World War II era, about 1947. It, Kerr-McGee drilled the first oil well out of the side of land offshore. This is offshore Louisiana. It was in about 20 feet of water. This is 1947. Mm. Today, oil companies are drilling and, and extracting hydrocarbons, oil and gas, from water depths of eight or even 10,000 feet. And so to go from 20 feet to 10,000 feet, you've had a myriad of technologies that have allowed that to happen. These semi-submersible rigs, the, the, the design of the, the drill rigs themselves, which are really, in, in many cases, giant ships um, and that have pilots and are, and are credited by the Coast Guard. You have submarine technology. You have um, uh, anti-corrosion technology, dr- drilling technology, stronger metallurgy, uh, better, pi- better uh, uh, helicopters, all of these technologies that have, have been improved all along this time from 1947 to today that are allowing now uh, really what are, is a space age business in the offshore. That's the way how I think of it, that a lot of this offshore drilling technology is really uh, all, it, it is effectively on the edge of outer space. Mm, sounds like we have come a long way in a very short time. It's really incredible. Um, so, Jay, um, you had mentioned earlier um, how the shell oil, uh, excuse me, shell oil drilling uh, sector has benefited from technological breakthroughs. Um, but let's talk about its environmental impact. Um, are you aware of any new innovation that might potentially um, help make it a little less intrusive, or maybe help it to reduce emission or water usage? Yeah, I think probably the the thing I'd like to focus on, uh, at least initially in the conversation, is water usage because that's you know water is a commodity that that we all need every day. What what the old expression was, you know, you you uh, you argue over whiskey and you fight over water was was something that Mark Twain said many years ago, and and I and that's absolutely the case. So the. These hydraulic fracturing processes require a lot of water, and the oil companies have been spending a lot of time and effort to try to reduce their water footprint. And when hydraulic fracturing started, they were always using fresh water. So... So issues uh, around water are getting lots of attention. And as I said, in past days, all the fracking was done with fresh water. And in areas where fresh water supplies were already low, this added a, a, a huge demand. And it, in, it actually has in, uh, introduced a lot of stress into communities. So technology now allows brackish water, basically salt, salty water, to be used in fracturing operations. And this has really helped in situ, uh, you know, helped the situation along. There's also research in play that's, uh, that's suggesting waterless fracking might actually be possible. So, wow. so, so all of those areas where, you know, you hear we're using all of the water in a particular community to do fracking, and it's, it's, it's putting huge stress and demand on the, the communities. Well, we're looking to access brackish water, which
which the brackish water supplies are much, much larger than fresh. And, and actually fracking with, uh, with gases where you, you insert uh, gas at high pressure down to, to actually fracture the rocks. So some really interesting things are going on on the uh, fracturing side. Very exciting. Uh, Robert, I also want to give you an opportunity to chime in. Sure. Well, and and this is a very emotional issue. Let's be clear. There's been tons of of, of media attention on hydraulic fracturing. We've seen anti-hydraulic fracturing movies, Gasland, and activism around that. We've had uh, hydraulic uh, communities banning hydraulic fracturing. Look, I understand why people are emotional about this. They're emotional about their water supplies. That's just, you know, Jay, Jay, Jay had it right. You know, people, they get very emotional about water. And so the idea that hydraulic fracturing might contaminate someone's drinking water somewhere has been used very effectively by the anti-oil and gas activists to demonize the industry and to paint it in a bad light. And it's easy to do so, frankly, you know, because their slogan fits on a bumper sticker. Big oil wants to pollute your water, or big oil will pollute your water. Well, people get riled up about it. And so the, what has the industry response been? I, you know, has it been perfect? Hell no, of course not. They've, you know, they've made a lot of stumbles. But Jay's right. The, 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 the industry has had to figure out ways to lighten its footprint. And that's going to be the challenge again. Like labor efficiency, capital efficiency, rig efficiency, water efficiency is going to be a big deal because you consider the amount of water required to drill an average well uh, and or complete a well using hydraulic fracturing could be 3 million gallons of water. We're talking about a thousand truck trips if you have to haul that much water. That, that doesn't make for a good neighbor. And so the, the issue of fracturing is, is very emotional, but uh, clearly there's going to be uh, improvement and there has been. And Jay mentioned uh, using gases for fracturing. There, there are a lot of opportunities here for the industry to, to, to get better and they will. Mm. Well, we have a lot of fans for drone, uh, excuse me, drones in, in our audience. So I'm curious um, how they are being used in oil industry, if at all, Jay. Yeah, we've been using uh, drones in our researching uh, of, of oil reservoirs. Basically, you know, the way a geologist goes about his, his work is there are many exposed landforms. We call them outcrops that we study, which help us better understand structures in the subsurface. So it's, it's sort of an analog. We look at the side of a mountain and we say, oh, that's what it's going to look like underneath. Uh, the, 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 the surface of the earth. Historically, we've sent geologists and grad students out in the field and asked them to hike up to these outcrops and take measurements of the rocks. And then we, we take all of that information and in, uh, back into the office and, and do our interpretation. Now, now we're sending out drones with mounted cameras to these remote and difficult to access locations. The pictures are collected and actually used to create 3D models that, uh, that we help in our research. So it's, it's actually a really, uh, fun activity. We've got some, some, some big drones with some high powered, uh, cameras. We collect tons of information. We bring it back to the office and we create 3D models and we do our interpretation. Mm, sounds like it saves you a lot of hiking trips. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, some, of the, some of the professors that we work here, we feel bad because we're not loading up the grad students with all that equipment and sending them out into the field as much. But, but it's becoming a, a much more efficient uh, way of doing our research. So, yeah. so uh, we're happy about uh, this direction. Um, well, experts estimate that shell drillers um, pull up only about five to eight percent of the oil in 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 the reserves. Um, 
why is that? And looking to the future, what do you think is the new technology that can change that, Jay? Well, I would say producing oil and gas from these unconventional reservoirs is like flowing liquid and gas through solid rock. It's like, you know, you can slap your hand on the on the desk that you're sitting at, and can you imagine trying to flow a liquid or a gas through that? Well, that's what these unconventional shale reservoirs actually look like. So in order to get the flow through the reservoir, you need to have pathways in that rock, and that's why people do hydraulic fracturing. Hydraulic fracturing helps crack the rock and create new pathways for these hydrocarbons to flow through. I think there'll be a huge breakthrough in the efficiency, and there has been in the efficiency of hydraulic fracturing in the coming years. We will learn ways to more efficiently fracture the rock as well as learning ways to pinpoint exactly where the fractures occur and where we want them occur. You know, these downturns, economic downturns are are, are always hard, but again, this is the time where, where people People have to get a little bit more competitive, and uh, you know they have to look at the cost. Like Robert's been saying, the cost on water, the cost on drilling, the the, the entire cost on this entire process, and 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 that's when technology allows us to be more economic, and uh, we're getting smarter and smarter every year. Mm, what about nanotechnology? Can that be a solution for this? Well, I'd like to think it's it's going to be a solution for this. Uh, here at the University of Texas, we're running a, a big research consortium on uh, creating nano sensors, or if you wish, smart dust that we're able to to put down into the reservoir. It's able to go out within the reservoir and and interrogate and to see. It can be our our eyes and our ears down hole. If we're better able to understand what's going on in the the subsurface and where that oil and gas is, we're going to be able to recover more of that. Now, the whole idea for this uh, research consortium came from when Scott Tinker and I were were talking about uh, uh, medical advances. And we said, my God, do you realize what's going on in the medical industry, how they can put sensors into a human body and they can go to different parts and they can find cancer cells and then... They can do certain things to actually eradicate those cells all within the human body. And we both looked at each other and said, my goodness, we could do that in the earth body. So that's exactly what, what we're doing. We're, we're coming up with these nano and, and micro scale sensors to put down hole for us to get a better idea of what's going down, uh, what's going on down hole. And when we get a better idea, we'll be able to increase the efficiencies of the recovery of the hydrocarbons, which will, uh, that'll translate into uh, billions of, of dollars and lots of new energy. Well, tell us more about that. I mean, what challenges have you overcome uh, while you're working on the project? And what are other projects, uh, excuse me, other challenges that you have yet to address um, in terms well, of I'd, developing yeah, technology? When it comes down to uh, the challenges, it's really all about economics. Uh, you know, I think that's a continuous theme with our discussions here, uh, both Robert and I. It's, so the words we use is technology and economics. So technology must be developed that's cost-effective, not just cool. You know, we must have a compelling economic story to tell the that uh, to tell that says the cost of these nano and micro scale sensors and the materials provide a positive return on investment. So if we 
So if it costs $100,000 to purchase, inject, and collect the sensors, we need to make sure that the information collected allows us to recover more than $100,000 of additional hydrocarbons. So it, it, it's, it's all going to be about economics, making sure that, that the cost of these materials, as we scale them up, uh, you know, is, is going to allow us to continue to be competitive. And again, it goes right back to Robert's book, and, and the title says it all, smaller, faster, lighter, denser, cheaper. If we're able to do those things and we're able to innovate, technology is going to continue to drive uh, the industry toward higher efficiencies, higher recoveries, and with all of that comes lower price, and that's good for America. Well, let's tell some more after the break. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. For more up-to-date information on the show, please go to bizreinvention.com or follow me on Twitter at bizreinvention. We'll be back after these messages. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, Back to business reinvention. Well, Jay, I'm really fascinated by the nanotechnology project that you're working on. Um, and from what I understand, one of the greatest things about nanotechnology is that when things are broken down into really, really small, tiny, tiny sizes, their properties change and it opens up opportunity to work with materials that weren't possible to work with before. And I wonder if that is an advantage that you try to um, take uh, concerning how hot it is underground. Um, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, this, it, actually, the nat- that aspect of nanotolo- uh, nanotechnology is extremely inter- interesting. And you know, all of these, these new phenomenon occurred to, due to an increased surface area to volume ratio, high surface area, low volume. 
And this has the potential to really alter mechanical, thermal, catalytic properties of, of, of materials. For, exen- for existence, uh, for example, excuse me, OPEC uh, substances like copper can become transparent. Stable materials can turn combustible, like aluminum. Uh, gold turns from an insoluble material to, to very soluble. So a lot of the fundamental characteristics of, of particles change when you get down to that, that nanoscale. Our primary interest is, is all about creating very small sensors. Uh, so let me remind people how small a nanometer really is. It's one billionth of a meter. And let me put that into to sort of real terms. A human hair has the diameter, not the length, the diameter of 100,000 nanometers. Hydrocarbons are produced from rocks that have pores as small as 5,000 nanometers in diameter. So we have to have sensors that can move around in that rock that, that don't get stuck in the rock, can move, can take take information, and an incredibly small size in order to penetrate that reservoir. So, uh, yes, there are some physical characteristics of, of nanomaterials that we're able to take advantage of, but size is the biggest thing when we're talking about uh, dealing in the subsurface. And, and the subsurface, you, you, you touched on it, Nancy, the subsurface is an incredibly harsh environment. Uh, you know, pressures of 10 to 15,000 pounds per square inch, temperatures of three to 400 degrees, an incredibly salty, nasty, corrosive environment. So just keeping these, these, these particles from, from, you know, from just falling apart or collecting on one another or collecting on the rocks without our ability to access them is, is, is quite a challenge. It's, this is, uh, when we first started talking with the medical industry, they thought they had a, a harsh environment and that being the human body, but uh, it's nothing compared to the earth body. Wow. Well, I guess it will also collect tons and tons of data, and that could be a goldmine for big data companies. Um, what role do you think big data solutions will play? Oh, big data is a rapidly developing field, and there's so many different industries that are generating more and more data every every day. I think I read last month that IBM was going to be investing $3 billion over the next few years on, on new businesses, uh, on new business to help customers gather, analyze the flood of data from sensors and uh, devices, smartphones, for example. So it's a huge market. And, you know, it's our challenge. You, you know, we're sending all of these, these sensors down hole. We're collecting all of this information. But what that is, it's a bunch of data. And uh, as scientists, our job is to turn that data into information. And uh, it's, it's tough to collect all of that math. I mean, just with, with our particular problem or opportunity in the in the subsurface, if you just do the math, if we, you know, if we inject a thousand sensors into a well, and you know, we leave them down there for a week before we start collecting information, 
you know, and we we collect information at once a minute, you start doing the math, and you just have astronomically large amounts of data that you have to to maintain, control, manipulate, and then turn that back into information. So huge opportunities, not just in the uh, the oil and gas industry, but for uh, you know for smartphones, jet engines, the all sorts of devices out there. So do you have any idea as to when this technology will be ready? Well, could I, could I jump in here, Nancy? Because I, I think I'd like to just build on Jay's point, but spin it a little different. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that this idea of big data is in any way new to the oil and gas sector. Remember, I agree. This is, an, this is an industry that has for decades been on the leading edge in technology and particularly computing power. Remember, mapping uh, the subsurface, whether it's offshore or onshore, is a very data-intensive process. So um, they, in some of the big oil and, and uh, uh, big consulting firms have uh, 3D imaging machines and 3D imaging galleries where you can look at entire fields of, of, of offshore and, and analyze Geo, geologic uh, formations over tens of thousands of square miles. So the idea that somehow this is new to the oil and gas industry, I would say, is not true. And, and but it, it, clearly, it is. The industry is now, like every other industry, is dealing with a whole lot more data sets that are available that are more complicated and 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 astronomically larger than they were in the past. But I would argue that this is not new in any way to oil and gas exploration. Good point. You know, I think that's actually an excellent point, Robert, in the sense that many people, the general public, think of the oil and gas industry as being dirty, low-tech, and unenvironmentally and not environmentally friendly. And, and those things are really the farthest from the truth. The, the opportunity of us bringing this nanotechnology and, and open up this research consortium, we're working with institutions all over the country like Harvard, like, like uh, Caltech, uh, Northwestern, uh, Northeastern, University of Michigan, a lot of universities that are have top uh, academic billings, but they haven't historically worked with the oil and gas industry. And a lot of the professors and students that were working say, golly, we never knew how high tech and how much neat technology has been uh, integrated in the oil and gas industry. So, you know, I, I guess the oil and gas industry could use a, you know, better marketing to, to get the word out that they're really not low tech. They're right on cutting edge. Robert, you touched upon it on the, the deep water drilling. It's amazing. It's, it's space age. Yeah, I think they like to stay under radar most of the time um, for some reason, and that's probably why. Um, but I still want to know um, when the nanotechnology um, that you're working on will be available um, in the market. I would think? say that, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, in the next, I would say two to three years, I think we're going to start coming out with some uh, some commercial uh, products uh, in a direct, re- uh, directly resulting from uh, the research that we've done within this consortium. And the university is not going to be that commercialization entity, but but we're in uh, some discussions with with third parties to help uh, commercialize some of the ideas that we've come up with. So. Couple years, you're going to start seeing these uh, these smart sensors going downhole. Is is my prediction? Mm, that's great, uh, Robert. Let me come back to you. Um, we haven't talked about midstream sector, um, so let's talk about pipelines. Um, the bill for a Keystone pipeline was vetoed uh, last month. But um, stepping aside from that, um, can you give us a big picture of the U.S. oil pipeline construction? What a 
the needs and what has been done and what's the potential impact on operations and prices? Well, I'd say, you know, I won't paint myself as an expert on what's happening in the midstream, but I will, you know, make a few obvious points, which is the, the like the upstream, which is the drilling sector, and like the refining sector and petrochemical sector here in the U.S., the midstream has been amidst a big boom because we've, we've had all this oil production activity in the Bakken and the Eagleford and the Permian all over the country in the uh, – um, uh, in the on, on the East Coast um, as well, so we're we're seeing all kinds of oil and gas activity uh, coming uh, uh, becoming uh, economic and coming into the marketplace in the Utica and Ohio. In addition, so all of this has led to a huge increase in in pipeline construction, over twenty thousand miles uh, uh, added in the last uh, two or three years. So, um, and of course, like every other sector, this sector is looking at making their pumps more efficient. They're using more uh, sensors to make sure that <clears throat> they're not. Uh, 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 leaking any any hydrocarbons. This is a an industry that can, is and an, uh, one that, like the rest of the sector, has has really been amidst a boom. Mm. And I think one thing to point out is also the fact that you said there uh, there had been an oil boom, and so there are a lot of new locations for oil reserves, and that I would think. Um, would require a shift in location um, in terms of concentration of um, production as well as pipelines. And that's one of the reasons why we need more pipeline. Is that why? Because the location for oil drilling has changed. That's true, and but remember, the the transportation isn't just happening by pipeline. the The midstream has been the the railroad industry. We've seen, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a a what in some case twenty thirty fold increase in the the amount of oil moved by rail, and that's going to continue apace. As uh, for instance, in part because of the 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 uh, Obama administration's opposition to the Keystone XL pipeline, but in addition, there is so much oil being produced in Western Canada and in the Bakken in North Dakota. We don't have enough pipelines to move it. So railroads are going to continue to be a, a major part of the midstream, um, and the railroads, as you know, have have long been very innovative in managing their rolling stock, and there's a lot of pressure on them to get even more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that that production is outpacing transportation at this point. So we are seeing, you know, look, we can't pick where the oil's produced. It's, you know, the the geology does that. But we are producing at a higher pace than we're able to move the the oil and the gas out of the, of those areas. So so And who would have and who would have thought that, Jay? I mean, just I 5 years ago or even 3 years ago that we we're, we're producing so much oil we can't ship it all. I mean, it just it's what the 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 testament, the change, the sea change in the American energy sector that has occurred truly just in the last, I'd say, six to seven years, it, it's it's staggering. Well, just remember, I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we were all along the Gulf Coast and along the East Coast, we were building import terminals for natural gas. And what, right. what's going on with those import terminals right now? They're being retrofitted to be export terminals. So, I mean, you, you can't have any more of a change than that. Mm, interesting. Well, let's take another break. You're listening to Business We Mentioned with Nancy Lin. For up-to-date business and innovation trends, go to bizwemention.com or follow me on Twitter at bizwemention. We'll be back in two minutes. Woo! 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of the curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we help leaders at fast-growing companies develop the leadership capacity necessary to manage growth more effectively. Contact us today to learn more about our executive coaching services and leadership workshops. Call 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com to transform your business and leadership with Change Agent SF. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Now, Back to business reinvention. So, Robert, do you think the oil price will continue to fall? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Nancy, it's a million dollar it, question. Well, the, the, the yeah, and then tell days, me for how much longer, too, Robert. I, I yeah, need that uh, so I can do all my proper trading. Yes, well, of course. Um, well, uh, oil prices now are trending upward. Today, it's uh, I just checked, it's at $56. So, uh, there is some bullishness in the market at the moment rather than bearishness. Um, but you know, I'm I'm actually a, I've heard some people say, and Boone Pickens said it the other day that he thought oil was going to be back at ninety dollars or a hundred. You know, I'm I'm kind of been starting to be more contrarian on this, in that when you look at what is the situation globally today, and whether the, the you know now the Iranians potentially could be a new player in the global crude market, the continued availability of not just a little bit of shale oil, but enormous quantities, enormous volumes of shale oil in the U.S., and the fact that the U.S. has become the marginal price setter in the global oil market, I wouldn't be surprised if oil prices stay in the in the 50 to $70 range for quite some time to come. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Iran, because then we also have Mexico, um, which, which, you know, which is right here, but it's funny that very few people talk about it. Um, they have just privatized their oil industry. Um, how big are the oil reserve there compared to what we have in the U.S.? And, and how big of business opportunities could that be for the U.S. Um, oil industries? Well, I'd, I'd argue your question. I'd, there, there has been a move toward liberalization of uh, uh, Pemex in Mexico. But that move has now suddenly been retracted largely because of the drop in oil prices. So I have never I, – I, I'm very familiar with the opportunity, what's being discussed about opening Mexico's oil and gas market to, to foreign investment. But I'll believe it when I see it. I'm, mm. uh, Mexico has huge resources. They, they desperately need more investment. Pemex 
Amex is financially hobbled. It has it is bloated. They have too many employees. The government in Mexico is tremendously dependent on Pemex. But I, I you know, as I say, I'm I'm not bullish on foreign investment in Mexico. I'll believe it when I see it. Mm, interesting, Jay. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I I think that privatization is going to be great for Mexico, and with all of the same kind of things that was Roberts talking about, because Pemex is broke. Uh, well, they don't have the money to invest into the technology that can allow them to get their their production back up. Now, the timing has been pretty pretty unfortunate for Mexico. You, they start talking about privatization, and and price gets cut in half. But there's lots of proven oil reserves in Mexico. I think they've got 10 billion barrels. The U.S. has about 30 billion barrels. So that's that's a lot of production that that's capable. But in the last decade, every year in the last decade production within Mexico has been going down. They're still a top right. 10 producer, but production is 25% less than what it was 10 years ago. So I think the introduction of new technology, if it if they start getting that foreign investment that Robert mentioned that they absolutely need, if the new technology and the new foreign investment does come into Mexico, it'll reverse this trend just as long as price doesn't uh, uh, you know, get them. It's going to drive more Mex- uh, money into the Mexican economy, and uh, I think that's going to be absolutely a great thing for Mexico and the Mexican people. But everything, you know, it's all, there's a lot of moving pieces here, as, as Robert mentioned. There's price. There's actually getting the markets to actually open up and getting that, that foreign investment. If I, I'll just quick, quickly follow on that. Look, I'm hopeful. I'd like to see Mexico open up. I'd like to see uh, liberalization there. Mexico should not be importing natural gas. They have, they have plenty of capable, uh, plenty of natural gas resources, but they have to drill for it. So, look, I'm hopeful that Mexico will do this, but and 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 really liberalize. And we've seen some in, uh, some relatively minor, uh, not uh, they're not small, but but uh, some some investments in pipeline infrastructure by American companies in Mexico. But we need a whole lot more openness and. Uh, Remember, the ban on on Yankees and other foreign investors has been now in place for eight decades. This isn't going to happen quickly. Mm, That's true. Um, But what does this all mean, Robert, for renewable energy sector? I mean, it was really hard for them before to compete with oil industry. And now the oil price has dropped so much. I mean, is it even possible for them to compete with oil as as a a way of um, uh, fuel? Well, of course. I mean, the, 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 what's happening in the oil and gas sector is happening broadly in all kinds of sectors, including alternative energy. Now, I'll be clear. I'm a longtime critic of biofuels. The corn ethanol scam is one of the biggest ripoffs in, of taxpayers in American history. I don't, I'm not a believer in the wind business. But if you look at what's happening in solar and batteries, you look at what we're seeing in development in nuclear technology, where we, look, we, we, the, the, the low-cost hydrocarbons are a gift to consumers, and this, the fact that we've seen a big reduction in price for oil and gas in the United States is excellent for consumers, but it does put pressure particularly on wind and solar in the electricity production market in, in, in terms of being uh, uh, staying economically viable. So, um, look, it, it, this market is, is broad, and there are a lot of niches in it, and there are going to be a lot of places where renewables make sense, rural locations, where, you know, and so on. But, uh, it, you know, it's, you ask a simple question, it's a very complex answer. Mm. Well, from what I understand, nanotechnology is also being um, developed to improve solar panel efficiency, uh, which could help them reduce the cost of solar energy. Um, so it's interesting. It could actually benefit both um, sectors. Um, any thoughts on that, Jay? Yeah, I would say that uh, 
You know, the drop in oil price actually hurts renewables. It hurts renewables actually, you know, fairly bad. I think we can get excited with the price of oil going down. But what does that mean? When the price of oil goes down, all of a sudden, in order to be competitive, the price of wind, the price of solar, the price of of all of these other renewables needs to go down as well. So, so I don't think it's actually been a very good thing uh, for the renewables. And I'm a I'm a fan of of trying to get as much energy as you can from from these renewables. I'm, I I would love to see us have a, a, a higher percentage, but but they got to be competitive. They got to be economic. And with lower gas prices, that's that's putting a big challenge uh, for the, the renewables. Yeah, I and, 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 and I'll agree just very briefly. When Jay says in gas prices, it's natural gas, which is, competes with the renewables for electricity production, but it's also gasoline, which competes against, remember, electric cars, which are the next big thing, and they always will be, right? We've heard forever, oh, electric cars. Well, low-cost gasoline makes a, a, a electric cars and hybrid cars a much more difficult proposition. So uh, I, I take all of the points that Jay made. Yeah, and I have to agree, price competitiveness um, will be a real challenge for um, renewable energy sector. Um, so I would like to wrap up the conversation with um, uh, a question about foreign policy. Uh, Robert, with less dependency on foreign oil, how would it change the geopolitics or U.S. relations with different countries in the Middle East or Latin America? Well, big changes, of course. Um, you mentioned Latin America. So what's happening in Venezuela? Uh, well, uh, Hugo Chavez is dead, but his policies, unfortunately, are not. And the Chavistas are, are in power in Venezuela, and they're very dependent on oil revenue to fund their, their social programs and, and the government. So the Venezuelans are in a very difficult position uh, economically. The same could be said of, of Russia. The same as, as applies to the Iranians. If oil prices stay low for a sustained period of time, all those three countries in particular are under enormous pressure economically and, and, and in terms of domestic uh, politics because they need to spread the money around. So uh, that's a broad, you know, kind of high-level statement. But I think that, you know, in terms of where the U.S. is, it, 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 uh, it, it, it frees us from, uh, you know, some uh, imports. But remember, it also means the U.S. exports more. We're now exporting about 4 million barrels of refined products per day. So what I see this doing is making the U.S. yet more integrated, yet more interdependent, more energy interdependent in the global market than before. Yeah, very interesting. And I think it will be also interesting to see how U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia um, continue to evolve now that we're kind of competing with each other. Um, so obviously there's so much happening in the oil industry and it would just be very interesting to see how everything unfolds. Jay and Robert, thanks so much for being with us today. That was great. I lo- it was great, great fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I also want to thank the audience for tuning in. You can tweet me your comments at BizReInvention. Please join me again next Tuesday at 8 o'clock to download our podcast. Until then, take care and have a good week. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In the meantime, follow Nancy on Twitter at BizReInvention to keep up on the innovation trends and information about our next show. Or go to BizReInvention.com for more business insights. That's B-I-Z reinvention.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.